Friends, today we continue our sermon series entitled Remain In. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, uh, today, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 15 together, in which Jesus speaks of himself as uh, the vine and us as the branches and what it means to remain in him. And we continue that today by looking at uh, another few passages of scriptures in which he talks to us about what it means to follow him and to remain in his love. But before we jump into our scripture readings this morning, let us take a moment to bow before the Lord in prayer together. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for your love, and we thank you for your grace that holds us fast. As we gather here today, Lord, we pray that you would open up your words afresh to us this day, that you would silence any voice within us except your own, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our hands to receive you so that in doing so, we might be faithful in the ways in which we respond in gratitude. For we ask all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and let all of God's children joyfully say, Amen. Friends, our unison reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, beginning in verses 9 through 11. I invite you to read along with me this morning as we read God's Word together. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And our second reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. It's a parable that Jesus gives as he's speaking to the chief priest and to the elders who question his authority. Here now from God's words, it comes to us from Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 28. Jesus says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. And the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you know someone who says one thing and always does another? This is the part in the service where you get to shake your head and respond back to me like, yes, no. Do you know somebody like that? Have you known someone like that or known lots of people like that? You know the person who always tells you what you want to hear, but they never seem to deliver on their promises. I know I've known a lot of folks like that in my life and These are the types of people that you've come to realize that you just can't depend on. Or maybe you can depend on not depending on them is a better way of saying it. As singer Bruce Hornsby says in his song, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. 
Well, I have to tell you, I have a sister like that. And I can confidently share that with you this morning because I know she's not watching this service. (laughs) She would be late to the time that worship started. I love my sister to death. I have to preface by everything that I say. I love my sister. But if she tells you that she is going to arrive at a specific time, you can always bet that she'll be very late or maybe not even show up. I tell you, years ago, Angela and I took our boys on vacation to Oak Island, North Carolina. My aunt had a beach house there, and we would go for Brennan's birthday every year for, for a week at a time. And, and we would go down there and enjoy the beach. You know, us white people who are albino white like me love to soak up the sun. And so we would enjoy a week together there. Well, my sister happens to live in Carolina Beach, which isn't that far away from Oak Island. Carolina Beach is about a 45-minute trip to Oak Island Depending on which way you go, you can either take the long way around, which is to go sort of towards Wilmington and back around, and that's about a 45-minute drive, or you can get on a ferry, uh, which uh, happens to be at Fort Fisher near Carolina Beach, and you hop on the ferry with your car, ride it over to Southport, and then get off of the ferry, and 10 minutes later, you're right at Oak Island. So either way you do it, it's about a 45-minute trip. So she called me up, knew that we happened to be there, and she says, hey, me and my daughter, my niece, would love to come and have lunch with you guys and spend the day on the beach. And I said, well, we would love to have you come join us. So come on, how about you come at noon? That's a good time to eat lunch, right? So uh, she said, okay, well, I'm going to take the ferry and I'll meet you over there. And so we waited and we got lunch together and noon came and my sister wasn't yet there. And so I called on the phone to check on her. That's what a brother does and make sure that she's okay. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I missed the first ferry. I'm in line, so I'll just have to catch the next one. But we'll be there. And the ferry runs like in 35-minute intervals. So, you know, we figured, okay, we'll wait. So that was at noon, and then 1.30 came, and she wasn't there. And I tried to call and couldn't get a hold of her. And then 3 o'clock came, and I finally got a hold of her, and she missed the ferry again. And so, but don't worry, I'm in line. I will be on the next one. And then 4 o'clock came, no, Amy. 5 o'clock came, the ferry shuts down at 5 o'clock, y'all. Um, she's still not there. So then I call her, and she goes, I missed all the ferries. Well, yeah, I figured that out. So we're going to have to drive all the way around, and, and you know, my boyfriend just happened to get off of work, so I'm going to pick him up, and we're going to come. Let's have dinner together. Fine, we'll have dinner together. So I got out the grill, and I cooked out hamburgers and hot dogs and had everything ready. And, you know, 6.30 or so, we're ready to eat. And guess what? She is still not there. And the question is, what do we do now? Do we wait for her to get here to eat? No, we eat. So we eat together, and and we enjoy our meal. And do we leave everything out, or do we keep waiting? Because at this point, it's 6.30 that we eat. 7 o'clock comes, she's not there. 7.30, she's not there. 8 o'clock comes, she's not there put the food up. As soon as I put the food up at 8.45, she shows up. Almost nine hours late. And she's like, what's for dinner? <laughs> well, let me get it out of the refrigerator and make it for you. Um, shows up at nine o'clock. Now, when she asked to come over, I told my wife, this is not a good idea. And my wife said, you've got to have a little faith in your sister. I said, oh, I have faith. <laughs> um, so, okay. 
So she gets there, you know, 845, and we entertain and that sort of thing. But the thing is, I had two boys who were not very happy that they didn't get to go out on the beach. And we were two blocks from the beach, all right? So we spent an entire day there. But we got to visit with her, and that was all good and fine. But there was a little irritation and frustration that seemed to exist within me. And for the first time in my life, I've never seen my wife be angry. But she was not really happy that particular day. We both knew that she wasn't telling us the truth. I mean, how do you miss the ferry like five, six times if you're waiting in line? And then, of course, it it only takes you 45 minutes. What are you doing that's taking this long to get here? This was the first time in our marriage that Angela recognized that I wasn't overreacting about my sister. She just happened to experience it for the first time. Even to this day, if my sister tells you that she's coming, you might as well make other plans and go ahead and do whatever you want to and have her just give you a call when she shows up. You see, that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. Amen? As we continue our sermon series entitled Remain In, we come to Jesus' words today that remind us to remain in his love. And so he tells us this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus tells his disciples to remain in his love. That the same love that God the Father has for him is the same love that Jesus has for all of his disciples. And the question becomes really, how do we do that? How do we remain in Christ's love? What is Jesus specifically asking us as his disciples to do? Now, it would be easy to immediately jump from verse 9 to verse 10 and say, well, here's the answer right here. We should obey his commands. But that's not what Jesus has been doing this whole time in John 15. He has been talking all along about remaining in him like a branch to a vine. He's not so much talked about doing something as he's focused on being connected with him. As I mentioned to you last week, fruit is a byproduct of our connection with Christ. It's not something that we can do merely on our own. So I think that we must understand that Jesus is consistently asking us to remain in him. And remaining in his love is not then doing something for Jesus, but remembering his grace that never ends and never fails for each of us. You see, in Jesus, love is not earned. It's freely given to be received. Love is a gift from God. It's God's grace, his undeserved love given to all of us. And so he instructs us to remain in his love, not to disconnect ourselves from his grace. The truth is, his grace is the glue that binds us to Even the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace is a gift. Faith is also a gift. And they are both given to us by God. So once again, we are reminded that we can't produce fruit on our own. 
apart from the vine. We must remain in him. So remaining in Christ, love is remembering his amazing grace in our lives. His love that refuses to abandon us even when we turn away from him. It's the basis and the grounding of our gratitude which leads us to respond in obedience to his commands. So what we do for God is grounded in the mercy that we first received from him. Think about it for a moment. This is really true in all of Scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament and you read the book of Exodus, you're reminded that God called a people, Israel, to be his chosen people. And this particular group called Israel wasn't his chosen people because they were great in number or because they were super awesome or anything. They were the fewest of the peoples, and they happened to be enslaved by the Egyptians. God heard their cries, 400 years of slavery, and he decided to do something about it. And so he sent his servant Moses and his brother Aaron to go and confront Pharaoh and to tell him to let his people go. And they did that. And it took a little time, but eventually everything worked out as God had planned. He led them out of Egypt and into, well, hopefully the promised land later on, but away from slavery. And so he didn't tell them to obey his commands at the beginning of this. He showed them his love and his grace by leading them out of bondage. And then after he led them out of bondage, he said, you belong to me. And I am giving you these commands we know as the Ten Commandments that will be a guide to you so that people will know that you are set apart from everyone else in the world, that you belong to me. So the whole issue of Israel following God at that time was look what God has done for us. Look at his mercy and his grace. We must live for him. We must follow his commands in gratitude for what he's done for us. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Our obedience to Christ's commands flows from the wellspring of his grace in our lives. But his love for us is not dependent on our obedience. God's love for us is an everlasting love. It's an unconditional love that isn't dependent on us. Uh, It isn't dependent on us following him at any point in our life. God loves us regardless of that. You know, it's hard to imagine that because so much in our lives, love seems so conditional. But I feel like for me, the moment that I first realized the love of God most clearly was when I had children. When I had my boys and I realized how could I love something so much that I would be willing to give my own life for them. And I realized that as a parent that my children, they're a gift from God. And at the same time, well, they can be a challenge as well. But I love them, and I love them no matter what. They don't have to be perfect to receive my love, but it also doesn't give them permission to do anything that they want to do. I mean, as parents, I think that what we try to do is to set appropriate boundaries for our kids because we know what's best for them. We want them to live their best life. We don't want them to get hurt or make a mistake that would somehow upend their life or even maybe hurt others in the process. And so we set appropriate boundaries. But their obedience to our commands doesn't make us love them any more than we already do. It might make us proud of them for what they do and for listening to us, but it doesn't change our love. And even when they disobey and they do things that go against what we ask them to do, it doesn't make us love them any less than we already do. It might disappoint us when they do those things, 
but our love for them never changes. And so it is with God. That is the way God's love works with us. And so I believe that Jesus shares something similar in this story that he tells to these chief priests and elders who have come to question his authority while he is teaching at the temple. And so he asks them, he says, what do you think? And then he tells them a story about a father who had two sons. He tells the first son to go and to work in his vineyard that day, but the son replies that he won't. But later, he changes his mind and he goes and works. And then he goes to his other son and he asks him to do the same thing. And he responds, yes, sir, I will do it. But later on, he chooses not to. So Jesus then asked them, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So Jesus shares this story about two sons who were both in the wrong, actually, and how they handled their father's commands. The first son deliberately disobeys his father's orders. He tells him, do this. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. He dishonors his dad. Thankfully, later he changes his mind and decides, you know what? I am going to do that. And he goes and does what's asked of him. Likewise, the second son tells his father exactly what he wants to hear. Yeah, dad, I'll do that for you. Be happy to. Later decides, no. I'm not going to do it. And so he dishonors his father. But the father loves both of his children. They are his sons. But he has to be disappointed that one has done wrong in word and the other has done wrong in deed. But the question that Jesus asks to them is, which of the two did what the father wanted? And it's an easy answer for the chief priests and the elders. They respond back, the first one. And they're correct. But that's when Jesus has a tendency to shock us and surprise us with his answer. He tells them that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of them. I can only imagine an internal response. What was going through their minds in that moment when Jesus said that to them? What? What are you talking about, Jesus? How could these sinners enter into the kingdom of God at all, much less in front of us? You've got to be crazy. But Matthew doesn't tell us what happens there. We don't get any of that stuff or how they responded to him. But I can only imagine that they were not happy with what he had to say to them. So Jesus makes an important point. Lip service is not enough. You see, there's a fundamental difference between the chief priests and the elders who say all the right things, but they don't do what's asked of them, versus the tax collectors and the prostitutes who blatantly ignore the commands of God, but later do what he says. And it comes down to this. It's believing in your need for mercy. Jesus said to remain in his love, 
not to stray away from his grace that's been given to us. The tax collectors and prostitutes aren't morally superior to the chief priests and the elders who follow the law of God. They are also sinners, but they have accepted their need for God's grace and mercy. And their acceptance of God's grace and mercy in their life is what leads them then to follow his commands and to do what was asked of them originally. And they don't follow God's commands simply because they are supposed to, but because of God's great mercy and love for them. They've experienced that love through Jesus. Think about it for just a moment. These are not people without names. We've read the stories about them. You've heard the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who Jesus sought out and went to his home, and it completely changed his life because Jesus exhibited grace to him. You've heard the story of Matthew, the tax collector, in which Jesus came to him to the the toll booth, and he told him, follow me. And he followed. You've heard the story of Mary, the prostitute who comes crying before Jesus. And Jesus says what she has done to him. It's blessed. These are life transformative moments in which Jesus in grace and mercy has responded in ways that those religious leaders around them have condemned them for. But the chief priests and the elders, they have neglected their need for God's mercy. They've rejected John's baptism of repentance and failed to believe it or even to receive it. Instead, they continue to give lip service to God, relying on their righteous deeds, thus choosing arrogance over humility and repentance. Yet God's grace and love hasn't wavered even for this second son. You see, Jesus didn't tell them that they were cast out of the kingdom of heaven. What he told them was that they were going to be surpassed by those who got it right in the end. No, you'll just be at the end of the line. And you might be surprised who's passing you and who's entering first. Those who are considered shameful in their eyes, they will be first. And those who are considered honored in their eyes will be last. But the truth is, both of these children need God's mercy. I guess that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. Ah, but don't you believe them. Surely if the sinners were able to change, so can the righteous, right? I mean, after all, isn't this why Jesus shared this parable in the first place? It wasn't to condemn them but to make them realize that they need God's grace too. And rather than excluding the sinners from the kingdom of heaven, they need to recognize their own need for God's mercy and let their response to God's grace be a life of following God's commands. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, I think we can recognize that sometimes we can be like both of these sons. Sometimes we reject God's righteous way of living outright, making poor choices that do not align with God's ways for our lives. We can reject some of Jesus' teachings because they're too inconvenient for us. We can also profess one thing and do another, making us to be hypocrites. And sometimes our words and our actions are far from each other, neglecting the true ways of God. 
Today, we can post all the Christian words that people like to hear and see on our social media pages only to do things that contradict them daily in our lives. That's just the way it is. Some things will never change. Ah, but don't you believe them? For the truth is, we can change. Because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That is the good news. And we would do well to listen to Jesus' words once again. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made We are to remain in Christ's love, then we must recognize our need for His grace and never forget where it comes from. It wasn't earned, it's gifted to the righteous and to the unrighteous alike. Both sons are children of God who are called to embrace His love and grace in their lives. But it's not enough to simply say that we love God, for a true love of God guides us in gratitude to do our best to live out his commands. You know, Jesus knows that you're not going to be perfect, and he's not commanding perfection. Only Jesus himself is perfect. He's called you to be holy, to be set apart, to follow in his ways. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to help make us holy, to transform us as we are open to the Spirit to live for him. He wants us to live into that because he only wants the best for our lives. In fact, 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 tells us this. He says, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. John's just reiterating what Jesus has already told us. You see, Jesus tells us these things because he wants his joy to be in us and he wants our joy to be made complete. He wants us to live joyful lives rooted in him, the one who is the source of true joy to the world. And accepting his grace and following his commands is the true source of a joyful life. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with God today. You know where you are, and God knows where you are. But if you have said no, like that first son, and later changed your mind, or even if you've said yes, but refused to go and do what God has called you to do, Christ calls each of us to remain in his love. Not to abandon his love and his grace but to live in grateful response to it, following his commands because he first loved us. And the good news is that he continues to love us on our best days and even on our worst. You see, that's just the way it is. And friends, that will never change. Amen? My prayer for us is that we would remain in Christ's love. We would do so remembering the grace that he has given us.
daily. And that together we would honor him with our lips and also with our lives as we strive to be faithful to obey his commands and to live joyful lives dedicated to God. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.